0: Please stand for a reading from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And Jesus said to his disciples, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. When he went out again about noon, and about three o'clock he did the same, and about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought that they would receive much more because each of them had also received the, usually da- the usual daily wage. And when they received it, They grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I want with what's mine? Or are you envious because I am generous? And so the last will be first, and the first will be last. The gospel of the Lord, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, My sixth grade math teacher was named Mrs. McDaniel, and she was talented, and she was determined, and she was one of the most patient people I think I've ever met. She once bragged that she could teach a rock how to do math. And, well, unfortunately for her, I was in her class. And she would be up there at the board, she would show how to solve a problem, and I would invariably end up saying something like, well, that's not the way I did it, or that's not the same, that's not the answer that I got. Hey, look look how I did it. Mine, mine's different, or yours is different. And she had to be so incredibly patient because much to her credit, she never shot back, Andy, that yours is different because it's wrong. No, she didn't do that, though there was this one time, one afternoon, I had stayed after to get some help. And there came a moment as she was trying to teach me that it it became abundantly clear that despite all her effort, I just wasn't picking up what she was laying down. And, and I'm not proud to say this, she burst into tears. And that was a really terrible moment for a kid like that 's the last thing I wanted to do was make miss McDaniel cry. I mean, I liked her, and then I remember she said, "Andy, you have a real knack for making simple math really complicated, and that stuck with me in some ways and you know, from then on, I, I grew to slowly fear and, and hate math, and, and I eventually grew out of it and got better, and I even got to appreciate math a little bit many years down the road, but it was always something of a struggle. And I remember the very last math course I took in college, towards the end, as I had gotten to know the professor a little bit, he asked me what my plans were after graduation, and I told him that I was going straight into to seminary, that I felt called to the ministry. And he asked me, you know, how, how I arrived at that, And I told him, well, sir, I really enjoyed your math class, but before you, there was a Mrs. McDaniel, and she burst into tears trying to teach me fractions, and and so it was at that moment that I I felt that I might be called to the vocation that guarantees me an absolute minimum of math. He laughed, but I I was only half joking. And my professor responded, well, I have good news for you. Really, from here on out, once you finish with this class, to be honest with you, you're not gonna use this math anymore. You're gonna pretty much only get to use simple math. And boy, that sounded like really good news from where I was standing. Thought, yes, but now, from where I am at now at this age, I've come to realize that every year, about this time of year, that, that simple math he was talking about usually takes the form of me filling out my IRS federal tax return. And if there's one thing that me and the IRS have in common is that we have a real knack for making simple math really complicated and confusing. And so the good news that my professor told me on that day, well it seemed like good news at the time, but now from my current perspective, it seems more like bad news, more like a, more like a reason to grumble and, and complain, and I just want one plus one to, to equal two, but then I'm told to, to add together two ones and, and to write a two in the box, but but only if you entered either a one or a zero in line 43A, and and then if H and J are less than three, then refer to the table on section eight, figure 2.3, and that's the simple math I get to do. And so with some things, depending on where you are in life or who you are, some things can seem like either good news or bad news, like a cause for rejoicing or a cause for grumbling. Now, not all of us as kids probably uh, would proudly say they had their own version of math, but I think all of us, whether we openly admit it or not, we have our own moral math. We have our own way of, of thinking about how things ought to add up in the world. I mean, for instance, in our culture, it's considered, it's considered rational that a professional ball player who can barely string sentences together and who's known for his immoral lifestyle is paid many, many millions of dollars. And meanwhile, the elementary school teacher who has daily the, the lives of the future in her hands, who spent years preparing for her position in, in school and, and literally has her hand on, on the future of our nation. Well, this person has paid $35,000 a year. And to me, that's a great injustice. It's a calculation of value that just simply doesn't make any sense. I understand how big the entertainment and sports industry is, but I just want someone to explain to me why it's worth so much more to throw a football than it is to teach a child how to read and to possibly lift them up from the depths of poverty and despair. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And I would love very much to say that according to today's gospel, well, God is going to restrict access to his kingdom only to those who really worked hard and who earned it and deserve it. And that therefore, this overpaid professional ball player will be dispossessed and punished for his misdeeds. While meanwhile, the elementary school teacher, for example, will be showered with riches beyond this world. And if I could get the scripture to say that, believe me, I would, but it doesn't. It doesn't add up like this. And, And depending on who you are, this is either good news and a cause for joy, or it's a cause for grumbling. In Matthew chapter 20, the disciples, they ask Jesus about who will inherit eternal life, who's gonna be welcomed first into the kingdom of God. And they remind Jesus first of, of all the stuff they gave up and left behind to follow him. And Jesus responds with this strange story. He says that there was a farmer who had some grapes that needed to be harvested. And he goes out and he hires some people, and some of them show up right at the crack of dawn and begin work right away. Others show up around lunchtime, more come in the afternoon, And then there were a couple of slackers who show up just one hour before quitting time, and then at the end of the day, this eccentric farmer just gets everybody together and pays everybody the same wage. And you can understand why there was some grumbling. I mean, what kind of way is this to run a farm or or a business? How do you figure that, that one hours of work is worth one denarius, which was the usual daily wage, while 12 hours is also worth one denarius? And so it's no wonder that there was grumbling because it doesn't seem right. Now this parable, I think it's worth noting, has a very common theme with another famous parable about the shepherd who irrationally would leave 99 sheep to go after the one that was lost. And you see in our mathematics, 1 plus 1 equals 2. 1 plus 1 equals 2 and only 2 and always that way. But here in the gospel, there's this math where 1 might be equal to 12 Depending on who's in charge of payroll, and and one might be equal in value to 99, depending on which shepherd is doing the counting, and and that's really strange. The more you think about it, a while back I was listening to this Christian talk show, and and they had on there this preacher who I I, I presumed had gone to the dark side and become a politician, but he had gone on there and he said, you know, we need to teach people at a, right and wrong at an early age, and teach them at an early age to work hard. And to do this, he said, we need to get back to the Bible. That's it. That's the solution to all our problems. And I'd agree, you know. Good thing, the Bible, right? I mean, it's good for all of us. We could all take a dose or two of it every day before work, and it would do all of us a great deal of good. But every now and then, if you really listen to the Bible, you come across a story so strange, so against the grain of our cherished suppositions about what's fair and how the world works, so much so that the Bible doesn't seem to be a solution for anything. In fact it might itself be a problem, and case in point is this story of the laborers in the vineyard. I mean here we are on a Sunday morning. You guys came here out of the cold and we are in this fantastic building, these these shiplap beams and this stained glass, the I mean just the grand piano for instance. And for generations, so many countless hours of volunteer labor has been put into this place. Lots and lots of work went into this place. And then here comes this parable about people going to work. Some for 12 hours, some for 8 hours, some for 3, and then some for only 1 hour. But then the master of the vineyard calls them all together and pays everybody the same wage regardless of how long they worked. And those workers who have been lounging around until 4 p.m., they get paid just as much as those who punched in at the crack of dawn. And then there is grumbling, and understandably so. I mean, those who have been, who have been sweating out in the fields all day long, they want to know, what kind of justice is this? And even the most casual reader of this parable, when you really stop to think about it, even though it's casual reader can say that, you know, we have arrived with this story at a very strange world of the Gospel, where everything is topsy turny, where our notions of fairness and reward are often offended because god 's ways are just not our ways and I think such an insight is particularly threatening to those of us in, in this congregation because we 're not the slackers right we, we didn 't sleep in we got up the temperature was dropping like a rock, but we got up and we got ourselves ready and our kids ready and we, we got ourselves here to church and and I think that we're here on the large part because, you know, on the whole, we are conscientious, dependable, hardworking, high achievers, and we've been laboring in church here all morning, or at least since 9:30, or whenever it is you people got here. But And so we didn't get here by relying on grace. We put ourselves here. And we all know full well that from life that if you fool around all semester long and you wait till the night before the final exam to crack the book open, you're gonna pay for it and that's as it should be. Nobody grumbles about that. I mean, one student says, well sure I flunked the course but man, I had a lot of fun that semester while doing it. And another one says, I got an A but it was really hard and I had to work. And that's everything as it should be, tit for tat, cause and effect, labor, wages, study, grades, And yet, I think we all know that just enough slackers seem to get by to keep us conscientious, hardworking folks wondering and perhaps sometimes grumbling. What if Jesus was right when he noted that God makes his rain to fall upon the good and the bad, that he lets his sun to shine upon the just and the unjust? And it's easy to grumble, but I think if we could hear this parable from the standpoint of those workers who came late, the person who because of a, maybe a disability or a lack of training or education was passed up all day long and only got hired at the end of the day and yet receives the same wage as those who had been there the whole day. If we could just hear this parable from the perspective of those who arrived late, well then it would not be a cause for grumbling but for rejoicing. I mean, You see, how, really how you see this parable and whether or not it offends you depends I guess on whether you think you arrived early or late But what gives this story its power, and this is an important point, is not the workers and the hours and the wages. What gives this story its power and really its meaning is the master who's telling the story. I mean, here, Because in the end, well, it's not about the workers. It's about the God and the Savior who is generous and who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God of such profound grace and love that even as he's being nailed to the cross, he says, Father, forgive. It wasn't fair for the one who knew no sin to become sin and die for us. It wasn't fair. What Jesus has done for us and wants to do for us isn't really fair when you think about it. It's not a matter of any shrewd calculation or work on our part, but rather it's a matter of God's extravagant gracefulness. And that's really interesting. See, most of us are accustomed to our own moral math, you know. We think to ourselves as if we, as far as God is concerned, if we do this, then I will get that. And and maybe if I fail at this, then maybe God will be angry or at least disappointed with me. But I want us to just ask, what if our relationship with God is not so much a matter of what we do and the way we figure it, but it's a matter of what God does and the way God figures it? In Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus wondering how often he should forgive someone who's wronged him. He says, should I forgive seven times? And, and those numbers seem to make sense. I mean, in fact, more than, more than make sense. It's hard enough to forgive somebody one time, much less seven times. But anybody know what Jesus says to him? How many times should we forgive? 70 times 7. That's a big number. I'd tell you what it is, but I'm bad at math. You see, built right into the heart of the gospel is this kind of extravagance which refuses to be calculated. We say we might say we want to live in a world where if we do this, we will get that, where one plus one equals two, but yet it appears that God has created the world in such a way that there is room for God to be gracious, that there is room for people who have nothing to be give, given everything, and there's lots of room for folks who to get in whose lives don't add up to all that much, who have fallen way short of the standards that would be God's standards, or the standards that would even be people's standards, and nonetheless are welcomed into the loving arms of the Savior. Uh, Jesus Christ chooses to be so generous, loving, and forgiving doesn't add up, as I keep saying, but here's an important point. As the prophet Isaiah says, God's ways are not our ways. God's measurements are not our measurements. As I think back on it, this came home to me. Oh, I forget how old I was, but in the very first church I was ever in, the little church community where I grew up, everyone had predicted it. At age 14, she was hanging onto the back of a Honda, screaming up and down the street like it was the Daytona 500, and we all just kind of shook our heads, and all the adults said, Oh, she's going to turn out bad. And then at 15, you could tell from all the empty beer cans on the front lawn just what kind of weekend she had enjoyed. And, and everyone said, oh, she's headed for trouble. And I agreed. And more than once, she would show up and disrupt the whole service and by not just showing up late, but showing up and pulling into the parking lot and blaring her car radio so loud that it would actually over- drown out the choir and you could feel the pounding in your chest from the subwoofer. And everyone looked at each other in that church and said, people like this are a menace to society. Well, then at 16, there was that story in the local paper. There was a trial. She went away for a year to a youth correctional facility. And we all said, I told you so. It was a matter of time, everybody said. And while she was there, she gave birth to the child she was carrying And well, the day of reckoning came, or at least you'd think it would be. The church was having its annual spring cleaning, our our work day event, and everyone young and old was told to show up early, bring a pair of work gloves, and we were gonna clean out the church and, and do the landscaping on the front. And I wasn't allowed to skip church work day. I had to be there all day. And so I'm there at the beginning, and I'm trimming these hedges in front. And these were holly bushes, so it was like a bloodbath trying to trim these things. So I'm trimming these bushes, and about 10 or 11, I can see them. These cars start gathering in the parking lot. Loud music starts playing in the fellowship hall. Little by little, I start seeing more and more people coming and going, bringing food and dishes and stacks of plates, and and chairs are being put up on the front lawn, and the music starts getting louder. And eventually, her car pulls up. And they all come pouring out of the building and everybody huddles around the car, everybody oohing and eyeing. And this little basket decorated with pink ribbons was unloaded and they all paraded behind it back into the church. And I'm sitting there watching this scene and I'm just grumbling the whole time. <clears throat> Hacking at that bush. You know, getting, it down to the, getting it down to the stump at this point few minutes later, this man comes to the door and says, hey, she's home and she brought the baby with her. We're having a party. Come on in. And I looked at him like, who, me? Excuse me, but I am a Bible-believing Christian who has been working all day. And I grumbled. I never did anything I wasn't supposed to do except for, you know, kill the hedges out front with my trimming. And I thought, why would the church... Celebrate, reward somebody like that. Well, it's because Jesus is the master and we're not. And thanks be to God. Amen. I think we have another song, don't we, Aaron? You stand for our final hymn, final song.